They say that us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. You tell them, sister. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on... KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, on New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, and Round Mountain, California's KKRN, not to mention AM950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internets. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All-around swell fellow says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, for another very, very busy broadcast, I'm afraid, um, with one story after another going uh, breaking over the last uh, few minutes before we go to air here today. But let me start here. Uh, recently, Dan Schultz, who goes by Pastor Dan on Twitter, observed amid all of the high school kids from Stoneman Douglas High School standing up and demanding Reform to our nation's gun laws after a former student-turned-gunman killed 17 at the Parkland, uh, uh, Parkland, Florida, high school last week. He tweeted, I am absolutely convinced that between BLM, Black Lives Matter, Me Too, Never Again, and the Dreamers, we are raising up the next crop of leaders for our nation. And he says that is both heartening and wild. I could not agree more, particularly about the heartening folks, uh, uh, heartening part. Uh, We need these folks uh, to uh, save us quick. We played a number of clips on yesterday's broadcast of high school kids from the Montgomery County, Maryland area who uh, walked out of class in protest uh, to march on the nation's capital and the White House to demand reform of gun laws in the wake of the 13th school shooting of this uh, still young year last week. And a lot of them were talking about voting. They couldn't wait to turn 18 so that they could vote as they vowed to vote out of office. Those who refused to pass reform for for guns, 
by going uh, by going along with the horrible arms industry lobbyists who call themselves the National Rifle Association as the NRA continues to rally for policies that virtually ensure many more such massacres in the days and years ahead. So these kids, um, they seem to be having none of it. From Parkland, uh, Florida, to Montgomery County, Maryland, to all across the country, where similar marches and protests are now being carried out, uh, there are signs that we are seeing a uh, generation of young adults who, who get it, who are sick of it, and who will be changing the world as absolutely soon as possible. God, I hope so. Boy, me too. Uh, there is another sign of that in uh, in Philadelphia today, where a school teacher carried out a very interesting experiment while teaching the book 1984 to her class. She's done a similar experiment many times in the past, but this year the results were very, very different. We'll we'll be joined by that teacher uh, in a bit here to explain what happened and what it all means shortly, even as Donald Trump and the Republicans and, of course, the NRA are now arguing that we need to arm our our nation's school teachers in response rather than helping to keep these uh, deadly weapons of mass destruction from getting into the wrong hands in the first place. Uh, on that point, uh, Rory Albanese, um, formerly of The Daily Show, tweeted gun lover logic require teachers to own guns to make schools safe. That's a good idea. Require gun owners to go to school to learn gun safety. That would be a bad idea. We will discuss all of that with writer and teacher uh, teacher Dina Legerman as uh, as momentarily. And we'll also be joined by Desi Doyen. That was her voice you heard. Yeah, Hi, Des. Yes, I am here. Uh, now in our 10th year of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment on the Green News Report. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to support our totally, completely Unfortunately, a completely independent, <laughs> uh, non-corporate sponsored, non-political sponsored reports, uh, which means uh, we really need y'all to step up to uh, to help keep us going for you at bradblog.com slash donate. So a new GNR coming up. But first, some late breaking news today. Quite a bit of it. We'll cover what we can here in. Uh, we'll start here in what AP describes as uh as a dramatic ex escalation of pressure and stakes, special counsel Robert Mueller has filed additional criminal charges on Thursday against President Donald Trump's former campaign chair and his business associate. The new 32-count indictment adds allegations of tax evasion, bank fraud, and potentially increases the amount of prison time that Paul Manafort, who managed Trump's campaign for several months in 2016, and uh, his longtime associate Rick Gates could now be facing if they are convicted at trial. The two men were initially charged in a 12-count indictment last October that accused them of a multi-million dollar money laundering conspiracy tied to their foreign lobbying work. The additional charges involve much of that same conduct, that uh, Manafort and Gates were initially charged with, but increased the amount of money, for one, that Man Manafort is accused of laundering through offshore accounts, uh, increases that up to $30 million. The New York Times reports that the indictment depicts a complex scheme by Manafort and Gates to shield tens of millions of dollars from American tax authorities 
by moving the funds through foreign bank accounts around the world. The indictment said uh, the pair hid the existence and ownership of the foreign companies and bank accounts, falsely and repeatedly reporting to their tax preparers and to the U.S. that they had no foreign bank accounts at all. And this was all done, of course, in advance of Paul Manafort volunteering for some odd reason to work uh, as Donald Trump's unpaid campaign manager. The new indictment comes a week after Mueller had filed charges against 13 Russians, accusing them of a vast conspiracy to undermine the U.S. presidential election by sowing discord, political discord, through social media accounts. The charges against Manafort and Gates don't relate to any allegations of misconduct related to Trump's campaign, however. Manafort's friends have said, uh, according to The New York Times, that Mueller's indictment is an effort to pressure him into providing information about Trump and the campaign. If so, Thursday's indictments add to that pressure. But White House lawyers and Manafort's associates have been adamant that he does not have any information that could hurt Donald Trump. Court records paint an unflattering portrait of the man who ran the Trump campaign with prosecutors saying that Manafort concealed years of lobbying work for the pro-Russian government uh, in Ukraine, had laundered millions of dollars in proceeds and misled investigators about that foreign lobbying work. Um, Both men pled uh, not guilty after they were initially charged in October, and the new indictments accuse Manafort and Gates of doctoring documents to inflate the income of their businesses, using those fraudulent documents then to obtain loans and accuses Manafort of evading taxes from 2010 through 2014, mostly because Donald Trump hires only the best people. Well, he keeps telling us. So it must be true. Uh, Okay, then there's this. The head of a federal agency who has helped U.S. states protect election systems from possible cyber attacks by Russia or others is being removed from his post by Republican House of Representatives uh, Speaker Paul Ryan and the White House. This in an exclusive uh, this afternoon from Reuters. Matthew Masterson is currently the chair of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, or EAC. He's a former Ohio state official. He has been passed over for a second four-year term as one of the agency's four commissioners, according to sources familiar with the matter. It's now up to House Speaker uh, Ryan to recommend a nominee for the commissioner post that Masterson currently holds, with the president then making a formal nomination. Under the law, Republican, uh, the Republican and Democratic leaders of both the Senate and the House each recommend one commissioner to be nominated by the president to fill the agency's four posts. And in this case, for some reason... That Reuters doesn't understand, and apparently a lot of other people don't understand either, um, The one of the Republican commissioners on the EAC is being pushed out. Masterson has, according to Reuters, been a popular figure among state election officials, many of whom have praised his expertise and leadership on cybersecurity issues. And uh, those officials have expressed chagrin, they say, at his pending departure. 
The agency was created by Congress in 2002, supposedly to assist states in complying with federal election standards for things like voting systems, electronic voting systems, though they have done a terrible job at that over the years, as we have reported in some detail over the past uh, 15 years or so at bradblog.com. Nonetheless, they're really the only uh, federal agency who who oversees or at least works with federal officials to uh, to deal with voting system standards, electronic voting system standards. They don't do, as I've said, they don't do a good job. But uh, undermining them here, as we are already underway with elections, people voting, early voting for the uh, in Texas now for the uh, the uh, 2018 midterm elections to let one of them go at this point uh, is odd. It's very weird. The uh, Reuters says the action raises fresh questions over the degree to which Republican President Donald Trump and his fellow Republicans who control Congress are taking steps to protect the security of American elections. And some state officials have accused them of doing too little to address the threat. Uh, It's unclear, as I note, uh, why they are letting Masterson go or who will take his place. Yet some Republicans, many Republicans over the years, have tried to eliminate the EAC entirely. Uh, The Republican-led House Administration Committee last year passed a measure that would terminate the EAC entirely on the grounds that it has outlived its usefulness. We don't need it anymore. We don't need any federal agencies (laughs) uh, overseeing voting system standards, apparently. Just amazing. Uh, Masterson was originally picked by former Speaker John Boehner, a Republican and fellow Ohioan. He was then nominated by Barack Obama before being confirmed unanimously by the U.S. Senate in 2014. Masterson was already going to give up his rotating chairmanship this month, but he was expected to remain as a commissioner. Now he's expected to remain as a commissioner only until his replacement is chosen by Ryan and then formally nominated by Trump and then confirmed by the Senate. Masterson has spent the last year as the commission's chairman, focusing largely on election cybersecurity, according to state election officials, though a small number of uh, networks were compromised in the 2016 election, Reuters reports, voting machines were not directly affected. And there remains no evidence that any votes were altered. That, they say, according to U.S. officials and security experts. But according to uh, the, well, according to me, and (laughs) according to the DHS, when they say voting machines were not directly affected, the Department of Homeland Security nor anybody else actually did any sort of forensic investigation of those voting systems that we know of in order to make the claim that they were not directly affected back in 2016. We simply do not know. So uh, it seems irresponsible reporting, in my opinion, to to say that voting machines were not directly affected when we don't know. And DHS actually said so in a Senate hearing when directly asked. They admitted as much in July of uh, 2017 when they were asked about that. So... 
in any event, um, Masterson, I don't know uh, Masterson. I've reported for many years on the EAC, but I don't I can't speak. I haven't reported specifically on Masterson. But uh, going by some of these election officials, uh, Colorado's Colorado's election director, uh, Judge Choate, uh, who was the immediate past president of the National Association of State Election Directors, says it is, quote, pretty remarkable that in this environment, given the importance of this issue, that the speaker would choose this moment to not reappoint the person doing the most work in this area. Uh, some of the election folks on Twitter are none too happy about this either. UC Irvine election law expert Rick Hassan said that Masterson, a Republican appointee, has been completely nonpartisan and professional and willing to work across the aisle on issues. Well, maybe that's why they want to get rid of mm-hmm. him. Uh, Hassan says his work with the uh, Democratic Commissioner Tom Hicks and others is a rare, bright spot of bipartisan professional cooperation in an otherwise politicized field. Um, Well, I'll hold my comments about Tom Hicks for another day. (laughs) He is one of the terrible election assistance commissioners I was uh, talking about. Uh, Larry Norden, who heads up the NYU Brennan Center for Justice's Voting System Technology Wing, who we've had on this show a number of times and have debated with when it comes to uh, electronic voting, said Matt has been a public servant in the best sense of these uh, in the best sense of those words. It would be a shame not to keep him in his current position, especially at this critical time for our elections. Uh, so, again, don't know yet what to make of this. We're only learning uh, about this story shortly before airtime here. Um, the EAC was formed in the aftermath of the uh, 2000 U.S. presidential election as a response to, as a supposed response to uh, that ridiculously close election that came down to the disputed paper ballots that were cast in Florida that the uh, Republicans went to the U.S. Supreme Court to demand would not be counted ever by human beings. And so we got stuck with George W. Bush and everything else that has since followed. The EAC's responsibilities include maintaining voluntary guidelines for electronic voting systems, including cybersecurity standards that most states use somewhat when purchasing new voting equipment. All right. One more before we get to a break here. Uh, this just breaking Missouri Governor Eric Greitens was indicted on Thursday afternoon by a St. Louis grand jury on a felony charge of invasion of privacy. The charges against the Republican governor who ran on the family values platform in 2016 stems from a 2015 affair that he had with a still unnamed woman and allegations that he threatened to release a nude photograph of her taken while she was blindfolded and tied to exercising equipment in his basement. Uh, She was uh, threatened that uh, he would share those photographs if she ever spoke publicly about the affair. The indictment accuses Greitens of not only knowingly photographing the woman with whom he had that affair, but also transmitting the image, quote, in a manner that allowed access to that image via a computer. Hmm. 
Sounds like so, somebody got caught. Yes, and it sounds like uh, the uh, prosecutors here may have a copy of those photos at this point because the woman herself has not stepped forward, but she uh, made this supposed confession to her ex-husband that he recorded without her knowledge and then released that recording also without her knowledge. Greitens could not immediately be reached for comment. His attorney, Edward Dowd, denounced the charges, saying that uh, they, uh, the charges against my client are baseless and unfounded. My client is absolutely innocent. We will be filing a motion to dismiss. The alle- these allegations against Greitens surfaced shortly after he delivered his annual State of the State address last month. Only a handful of Republican lawmakers called on Greitens to resign at the time in Missouri. And earlier this week, while debating a bill that would outlaw revenge porn in the state of Missouri, Republicans overwhelmingly supported amending the bill to make it a felony to threaten someone with releasing a sexually explicit photo. So they were willing to make it a felony crime to do what the governor is accused of doing. They were just not willing to call for him to step down after being accused of doing it. Greitens has bucked those calls for his resignation, but as the Kansas City Star reports, the indictment could lead lawmakers to begin impeachment proceedings and potentially force him out of office. Um... Uh, Did did I mention that the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported that after the news of the indictment broke, that Greitens was seen being led down a hall in handcuffs in the local courthouse by several St. Louis deputies? And uh, those officials later confirmed that uh, Greitens was, in fact, taken into custody and then booked at the St. Louis Justice Center. So no wonder he wasn't available for comment. That's just some of the news breaking today, all amidst what I think may be an unprecedented push, finally, for reform to our nation's gun violence epidemic, thanks to a bunch of high school kids who uh, too many, too frequently, write off as slackers who don't pay attention to what is going on in the world. But over the past week, we've learned that is, frankly, anything but true. And in fact, it may be those slacker high school kids who save us all. That story is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. To make a one-time donation, or even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Yeah, welcome back. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The kids are more than all right, if you ask me. Uh, you may have seen some of that so-called listening session that Donald Trump held at the White House on Wednesday with some of the students and parents of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, as well as the uh, p- uh, parents of some of the children who were killed at the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre in Newtown, Connecticut back in 2012, as well as others. Donald Trump mentioned that uh, as a, uh, a possibility during the White House listening session, uh, he was thinking about the idea of arming teachers, telling the group, quote, I think it could very well solve your problem. But he went into more detail on that idea and what turned out to be an all out tweet storm rant early on Thursday morning in which he claimed Uh, Just as the National Rifle Association has been claiming for years that gun free schools are a, quote, magnet for bad people. And then he said in all caps, so, you know, it's extra true. Attacks would end if highly trained gun adept school staff had concealed weapons. He said that giving concealed weapons to teachers with training would allow them to, quote, immediately fire back if a savage sicko came to a school with bad intentions. Highly trained teachers would also serve as a deterrent to the cowards that do this. He uh, tweeted, if a potential sicko shooter knows that a school has a large number of very weapons talented teachers and others who will be instantly shooting, the sicko will never, in all caps, attack the school. Cowards won't go there. Problem solved, Trump tweeted adding must be offensive, defense alone won't work. The NRA's chief spokesman, Wayne LaPierre, speaking at the right-wing CPAC convention in D.C. on Thursday, echoed those thoughts. He said, quote, our jewelry stores, our banks, our airports, our NBA games, they're all more protected than our children at school. Do we really love our money and our celebrities more than our children? He said that schools must be our hardened our most hardened targets in this country. Repeating the phrase that he uttered uh, after 20 kindergartners and six teachers were gunned down at Sandy Hook Elementary School five years ago, quote, to stop a bad guy with a gun, it takes a good guy with a gun. One of the Stoneman Douglas High School students who spoke on Wednesday at Trump's White House listening session was senior Sam Zeif, who broke down while explaining what happened to his best friend who was killed during the shooting and his little brother who was in the room directly the classroom directly above his as they all hid for their lives as a former 19-year-old student unleashed a hail of semi-automatic weapon fire from a rifle he legally purchased under Florida law which ended up taking the lives of 14 students and three teachers last week while wounding about a dozen others. Zeif's comments at that session at the White House, frankly, were heartbreaking. But like so many of the other kids that we have seen over the past week emerging from the shooting to vow never again as they march, as they protest, as they advocate and, frankly, insist on long overdue gun safety legislation, Zeif was... Serious, articulate, determined, and just incredibly well-spoken in all regards. He appeared again this morning on CNN with uh, Allison Camerata and was asked about the president's call for arming school teachers across the country in response 
He described the idea as absolute madness. Sam, what did you think about the president's idea of arming teachers? Madness. Like, just absolute madness. Teachers go through emotions every single day, just like students do, just like mentally ill people do, just like everyone. And teachers are faced with the responsibility every single day of molding young lives and mentoring them and being there for them. Why should they be faced with the responsibility of knowing whether or not they're going to have to kill them that day? So, Sam, today, now that you've been there at the White House, now that we've had this conversation in such an intense way for this past week, what do you want to say to the president? Where do you want to start today? Honestly, I hope we can do this. I said this today. I said this last night. I said it yesterday at the White House. He can make America great again. And this is how he does it. But if he doesn't want to cooperate, we're going to make America great again. That was Sam Zeif on CNN. I love that. And I love all of these kids from Stoneman Douglas who are incredibly impressive in every way. You, you've heard them over the past week, but here's a reminder of just some of their uh, comments from some of the others in recent days. Never again should students have to protest for their lives. Never again should an innocent life be taken while trying to gain an education. We are coming after you. We are coming after every single one of you and demanding that you take action, demanding that you make a change. What we must do now is enact change because that is what we do to things that fail. We change them. I'm not here for a fight. I'm not here to argue with you. I just want to speak. I just want to see your face and know why. People are talking about how we aren't serious because we're children, but have you heard my friends talk? We're serious. I will fight every single day, and I know everyone else here will fight for the rest of their lives to see sensible gun laws in this country and so that kids don't have to fear going back to school. Yes, they are serious indeed. Uh, NPR reporter Susan Davis tweeted a, a thought on these uh, on these 17 year olds in general. Uh, she said, it strikes me how unique their generation is born and raised in the 9-11 era into a nation at war their entire lives and already witnessed 19 of the 33 deadliest shootings in America since World War II. That, she says, must shape and be shaping worldviews in ways that we don't fully grasp yet. I think she's right. That seems quite likely very true. And as all of this has been unfolding, um, a school teacher in Philadelphia observed what might be another sign of this generation of kids having a worldview that uh, uh, us old folks, uh, I guess, have not yet begun to fully appreciate. English teacher Dina Lagerman uh, wrote about an interesting experiment that she carried out, that she's been carrying out for several years when she uh, teaches the classic George Orwell novel 1984 to her students. The book, of course, is the futuristic dystopian novel published in 1949 by Orwell set in the super state of Oceania, whose residents are victims of perpetual war omnipresent government surveillance, propaganda, and public manipulation via the thought police who persecute individualism and independent thinking regarded as thought crimes in a tyrannical system of government overseen by the mysterious leader known as Big Brother. 
leading a party which seeks power entirely for its own sake rather than the good of others. Lagerman has carried out a very interesting social experiment while teaching that book for a number of years, but this year her students had a very different response, a very different reaction to that experiment for some reason. Joining us now to discuss what happened, as uh, as she described in a post at Medium.com this week titled, The Teens Will Save Us, God, I hope she's right, is Dina Lagerman. Dina, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Sure. I know you're a writer, English teacher for high school juniors and seniors uh, in Philadelphia, and you post articles at, at Medium and, and write for the parenting website Romper. You've also been published by Women's Health Magazine, The Week, HuffPost, and others, including Pop Sugar, which I mention just because I like saying Pop Sugar. Uh, <laughs> but I want to ask you about uh, about this fascinating experience, uh, experiment and your, your short article about it and, and what happened really this time for the first time when you, when you carried out this experiment while teaching 1984. But uh, before we do, since one of Donald Trump uh, and the NRAs and, and thus likely the entirety of the GOP's big ideas for responding to our nation's gun epidemic and... Uh, specifically school shooting epidemic, is to have more guns, not less, uh, more guns by arming our nation's teachers. You're a teacher. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, uh, Dina. Oh, well, um, this conversation even is just an entire diversion and deflection from the actual conversations we should be having, which is, you know, what do we do about the guns? But since no one wants to have this conversation, at least not our politicians, we're deflecting to, well, let's arm the teachers and, you know, make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a single colleague that I could think of that I've worked with currently, that I worked with prior, who would be comfortable having a gun in the classroom. Um, it brings up so many questions about how will we be trained? Where is the funding coming from? And if it's coming from the government or from the state? Why can't we have basic funding for supplies instead? Um, you know, how will we be trained and how is it going to be safe in our classrooms? Where will the gun be located? Does it have to be loaded? I mean, all of these questions that come up, and honestly, these are questions that shouldn't even happen, shouldn't even come up because teachers are not trained uh, SWAT teams. We should not have to deal with, you know, we're therapists and we are moms to our children and we are educators and we wear so many hats every day for so many children and now we have to be um, armed as well and that just seems like an insane and a dangerous idea Um, I know for myself if anyone handed me a gun and said this is your job now I would no longer keep this job and I would have something else. Are there any other uh, teachers? I, I know that this has just come up over the past uh, day or two, so I don't know if you've had time to talk with your colleagues. Is there, are any of them uh, saying, yes, this would make me feel safer. I would like to do this. I would like to carry a gun in, in school. Are you hearing that from anybody? Not a single teacher. Granted, you know, I, I, I don't know every teacher, mm-hmm. but not a single teacher I know. Um, I think most teachers agree that this is an insane and a dangerous idea and a diversion from the conversation we actually should be having of how do we make school safer mm-hmm. outside of arming the teachers. 
And uh, to that end, uh, the Stoneman Douglas kids have been so impressive, and uh, that's why uh, your article sort of jumped out at me. I know that uh, every so every year while teaching the 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 George Orwell Big Brother classic novel 1984, uh, warning of the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful government uh, in this book, which has manipulated its people to control them in all sorts of ways, uh, many of which ring a bit too familiar, I, I, I'm afraid, in 2018, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But you conduct a social experiment of sorts with your students, who, who I guess don't really know they're part of this experiment until it's over, uh, in, in a way to help teach the book. Tell me what you do with this experiment, and then we'll discuss both how it usually goes and then how it turned out this year for the first time. Sure. Um, so, you know, I could, 1984 is a very important book, as you mentioned, right now, and always, but especially right now. And I love teaching it. It's one of my favorite texts. But to be honest, it's a little slow, especially for kids today who are immersed in social media and a very quick, you know, uh, clickbait headline. Mm-hmm. So how do I get their attention? How do I make them learn without lecturing them and making them read without having any background knowledge. Our students are luckily privileged enough to where their rights aren't being taken away yet. Um, So how do I make them experience what the people in the novel live through every day? How do I make them understand? So my uh, activity that I do before the book is I tell them that, hey, you know what, guys, you're seniors. You're going to have senioritis. It's getting nicer outside soon. You're almost graduating. And I really don't want you to fail. And I think, you know, we all agree that I want you to do well for the rest of the year. So I've collected some research, and this has been done for numerous years, and it's worked in every other school, and this is the way we battle senioritis. And they kind of look at each other and go, okay, well, what do you have for us? Mm-hmm. And I tell them, you know, I make up, I make up statistics. I, I tell them, you know, that X amount of students fail out every year. And they, they just eat it up. <laughs> you know, I, I am their teacher, so they're listening to me and they're interested. And then, I, and then I say, well, these are the rules, you know. You have to raise your hand every time you need to use the bathroom, every time you need to ask a question, every time you even need to ask your peer for something. You know, we have to have very strict rules, very strict guidelines, because if you don't follow them, then senioritis will get you. Um, And they're not happy with it, but I basically convince them that it's for the common good. I tell them they lose points every time they don't follow, and then they gain points if they help me kind of keep track of other students who are breaking the rules. Wow. And so and you, you, you write that you put up uh, posters. You basically turn the classroom yeah. into a totalitarian regime. And, and do the, ki- do, do, do the kids uh, play along? Do they, do they tell on others uh, as you have instructed them in your, with your posters and your, your signs, your motivational quotes that are posted everywhere and so forth? So not this year. <laughs> yeah. Not this year. I waited for two days, and I had so I post a folder in my classroom that says "truth folder." And you had, you um, had a, I'm sorry, you, you had a, a truth folder. You said yes, a truth folder. Mm-hmm. This is the folder where they would write notes in if they saw any wrongdoing. Okay. So um, because um, I wanted them to tell the truth, right? Uh-huh. Because that was that mattered for for senioritis, so mm-hmm. curing it. And in so the past, they and in the past, before we talk about what happened this year, in the past, they've they've gone a, 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 along with this experiment for several days while you're teaching the book, and and so, yeah. 
So I, I taught it um, a couple years ago, uh, four times in a row, and then I took a little break from teaching, and this is the first year I'm teaching it again. Mm-hmm. And in the past, when I had taught it, I actually did it a little bit more intense even to where, like, I made them, well, I asked them to kind of give up their privacy voluntarily. And, you know, I asked them to to write their parents' salary on a piece of paper and tell me everything they do every single minute of the day. And and they they looked up at me, and obviously I didn't read this information at all when in the trash, but they, they looked up at me for a second and questioned me. I'm like, you can't question me. I'm kind of sick of this chaos that's been going on and I need my classroom back. You have taken advantage. So I, I have a more of like a dictatorship part in the process. Right. Um, but at that point in the past, they would just raise their hand and say, well, so-and-so is doing so-and-so, and then I would give them a point. And then when they saw the process, quote, working to their advantage, mm. then right. they would start telling on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but and at first, they thought it was a joke in the at first day. They thought, oh, ha, 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 so funny. But then by the second day, when they see that the points are still there and some of them are losing points, they're starting to get more serious. And they really do fall in line, and the classroom is completely silent. And you could see um, they're feeling very threatened, but they also don't know what to do because I'm clearly in power at this point. And then, you know, when they kind of learn what they need to learn, mm-hmm. I stop the experiment and then we discuss it and we debrief. And they're obviously always very relieved that it's not <laughs> <laughs> that it's not real. Right. Um, and obviously none of them, and they're always like, well, did I lose any points? I'm like, no, no, you didn't lose any points. Like, you're good. But what did we learn about ourselves? Wow. You know, what did we learn about when the teacher takes away your power? I am the authority here. What happened? And that um, had been pretty that was pr- predictable. Uh, predictably, in the past, it would go down like that. Not this year, however. What happened? I, I, I know there was a break between the time you uh, last ran this experiment <laughs> and now, but yeah. but what happened this year when you tried this uh, the same experiment? Well, yeah, I, mean, I know that there has been a break, but I've just been watching teenagers change, mm-hmm. and so I wondered what would happen this year. So I, you know, I did the same thing this year. I added the whole senioritis about how you know we really need to battle it. And I also got other teachers involved, and the other teachers loved it because they they were able to see how the students react, and they kind of reported to me and saying, "Well, so and so is doing this." So it was very controlled, make sure the kids are fine and mm-hmm. they're not you know being distressed over it or anything like that. So this year, it was something else. This year, they did not go down without a fight. I mean, they actually didn't go down at all. They, um, after the first day I introduced the experiment, they threw like 50 questions at me. Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And, you know, what if I tell them this person and that person gets upset? And will that person lose points? And what if that person gets suspended? Like, they had a lot of concerns, which my other students didn't have before. They said, well, this seems like we're living in kindergarten, like all of these rules, you know, this seems like you're taking advantage of us, you know, and I was like, no, this is for your common good, and I have a really good rapport with my students, so they Mm -hmm. do trust me. Um, So this was day one, and by the end of day one, um, because I have them in the beginning of day, so by end of day one, I'm hearing other teachers come to me and say, hey, they kind of like are getting it, they're getting upset, you know, they're, they're, they're getting upset, and that same night, I get an email, well, I don't get an email, but I get an email forwarded to me um, that this, the president of the student government sent to the administration, <laughs> you know, expressing his displeasure with this, uh, with this activity. 
And he basically says, I feel like this is fascism and it's totalitarian and we will not stand for this. And I don't even have this student. <laughs> but, He's not one of my seniors. But the students were rebelling. Happening. The students were standing up and pushing back against this, banding together, it seems, and, and pushing back against your tyranny, uh, Dina. It, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And you write uh, that, for, quote, for the first time since I've done this experiment, the students won. Uh, why? What happened? What, what has changed as you see it, uh, you know, since you ran this experiment in, in previous years? Do you have any idea why it was this time they, they stood up, pushed back, rebelled, and, and won? Um, I have some ideas. And listen, I'm not a researcher. I, I'm not mm-hmm. a scientist. I, you know, I don't do social research. I don't know. But this is just my observation of teenagers in general. Mm-hmm. The word that they're using now is woke, right? <laughs> they're all woke now. Mm-hmm. They're participating in, in marches. They're participating in, you know, their student government. They're listening to the news. They're reading the news more. Every day we play CNN 10 for them so they know what's going on in the world every morning. They are involved, and I think in our current political climate where everything is so hostile and divisive, Mm. they are learning. You know, these kids, I walk around, and even in the cafeteria, I'll listen to them talk about DACA, and they'll talk about, you know, issues that I don't remember ever discussing when I was a kid as a teenager. Even the kids that I had previously didn't really discuss topics like that. They weren't on the horizon, I guess. They weren't interested. They weren't affected by it. Mm. You know, my students, these teenagers... I I go to the Women's March, and I see all of these kids, a sea of teenagers, coming with posters and signs, and they truly are paying attention. And I ask my students, you know, why did you rebel? Because at the end, they won. Like I said, they rebelled. They said, we will not stand for it. They went to the administration. They said, this is not okay. Our rights are not going to be taken away. Uh And I said, why did you do it? I could have failed you, right? The premise was, if you lose enough points, you fail for the year. Right. I could have failed you. I am the authority. How do you go against me? Why did you do it? And the response I got was, you were taking away my rights, and you were taking away my freedoms, and it did not make sense. And mm. that's kind of what, and I, and I always teach them, if something doesn't make sense to you, that's when you need to stand up and ask why. You don't just take it sitting down. And a lot of my kids, that's what they said. And when I asked some of them why they fell in line, they said, it was easier because I didn't want to get in trouble. I would never tell on anyone to gain more points, but I would just I just didn't want to get in trouble, you know? Yeah. And there's different versions, but overall the majority of them rose to the occasion. When I <laughs> asked this, when I turned the student government pres- student government president to my side kind of and I told him what I was trying to do and he decided to help me right. and he resigned, quote unquote, in front of the students and the students audibly gasped when he resigned in front of them. And after they left my class, they found a new leader. Multiple people were like, all right, I'm taking over. I'm going to help us. And, and they were writing, they were making posters, uh, you know, down with senioritis. Wow. So it was incredible. I was, my heart swelled. I was so proud of them, just like when I watch the kids now at Parkland and, and their speeches and how articulate they are and how beautiful their speeches are and heart-wrenching. And they all just make me cry. But I actually cried when my kids said, we will not have our rights taken away from us. And as a teenager, I don't even remember thinking that way. So it's, it's definitely, it's, to it's, me, it's a trend. Yeah, it's 
it is good to know uh, that it's not just the kids in in Parkland. Uh, I saw a day or two ago, Daniel uh, Schultz had tweeted, uh, he goes by Pastor Dan on Twitter. He said, quote, I am absolutely convinced that between Black Lives Matter, Me Too, Never Again, and Dreamers, we are raising up the next crop of leaders for our nation, and that is both heartening and wild. Sounds like you get that same impression, uh, uh, Dina Legerman. You and your uh, your piece at Medium, which I'll link to at Bradblog, uh, headlined, The Teens Will Save Us, by saying, Do not squander their fight. They really are our future. Do not call them entitled. That entitlement is their drive and their passion. Do not get in their way. They will crush you foster their rebellion they are our best allies uh dina really appreciate uh your thoughts on all of this your work uh of course as a teacher in the classroom and this uh, fascinating experiment uh hey stay in touch uh if you teach it again next year in this same way i'd, I'd love to hear how that goes <laughs> thank you i mean i'm gonna have to switch it up now that everybody knows <laughs> now that the word is out yes you'll have to <laughs> yeah. come up with another scheme for tyranny but i already have ideas you already have a plan <laughs> you i have a plan you are evil uh dina Legerman, <laughs> uh check out her article at medium.com you can follow her on the twitters at dina chka82 i think that's dinachka 82 Sounds Russian. Uh, really appreciate you joining us here today, Dina. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. Okay, a quick break. And now that I'm feeling better, uh, Desi Doyen is straight ahead with the Green News Report to bring us all down. Hey! I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with the delightful Desi Doyen right by my side. Desi, what were you saying over the break about uh, CNN? We were talking about the that CNN town hall on that, uh, on guns. Yeah, on, that was uh, quite Wednesday moving night. and quite heated. And I thought, hey, you know what we really need now is let's have a town hall with teenagers asking lawmakers about climate change. Wouldn't that be something? That would. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, because, yeah, they know their stuff uh, in ways that the, well, you know, the Republican lawmakers don't. They'd be able to put down their stuff and nonsense the way those Hold teenagers... Some- yeah, and Put hold some the, feet to fire. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, well, speaking of feet to fire, we better get to it since CNN won't. Our latest Green News report. It's been a problem that has been a long time in the making. Minnesota settles with chemical industry giant over decades-long water contamination. Sea levels are rising at an accelerating speed all around the world. New report finds the next five years will determine sea levels for the next 300. Sea ice in the Arctic hits an ominous record low. Plus... 
Washington state becomes the latest state to block Trump's expansion of offshore drilling. All of that Trump blocking and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This agency shouldn't be in the business of saying we're going to favor certain sources of energy over others. Unless those certain sources are oil or coal or gas. Am I right, EPA Chief Scott Pruitt? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we are celebrating the ninth anniversary of the Green News Report all week. My thanks to those who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us try to continue into our 10th year. Thank you very much. And yes. what do you have for us today, Ms. Doyen? Well, industrial chemical giant 3M Company has agreed to pay the state of Minnesota $850 million to settle a major case over contaminated groundwater. Minnesota sued the company in 2010, alleging it damaged its natural resources and contaminated drinking water after decades of the company legally dumping perfluorochemicals, or PFCs. Those are used in fire retardants, nonstick cookware, and other products. Post-it notes? Are they used in post-it notes? I don't think so. Because that's all I know that 3M does. Well, they do other stuff, too. I see. Prosecutors alleged that 3M researched PFCs and knew that the chemical posed a threat to human health and knew that it was contaminating groundwater. Here's Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson in a press conference on Tuesday. We think that uh, the settlement uh, will help solve a problem for Minnesota. It's been a problem that has been a long time in the making for many decades. These chemicals, as I mentioned, were put into the ground And uh, we are very hopeful that the settlement can help fix that. The $850 million will go toward upgrading municipal water system filtration technology and environmental cleanup. 3M agreed to the settlement just hours before it was set to go to jury trial, but it did not admit liability and did not admit any health impacts linked to PFCs. They never do. Meanwhile, in climate science, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced this week that January 2018 was the fifth warmest January ever recorded globally. That means that the last four Januaries now rank among the top five warmest on record. And that warming is wreaking havoc at the polls. At the election polls? No, at the planet's polls. Damn. According to the U.S. National Snow and Ice Data Center, sea ice at both poles has hit the lowest levels on record again, shattering records set just last year. The Arctic is seeing the fastest rate of decline in sea ice in at least 1,500 years, and it's believed to be at its lowest winter extent since human civilization began more than 12,000 years ago. And making matters worse, the Arctic is also currently in a heat wave. The northernmost weather station in the world, located in Greenland, this week recorded daytime temperatures above freezing, despite the fact that the Arctic is still in the total darkness of polar night. And now a new study dramatically illustrates just how much the decisions we make in the next five years will impact future sea levels. At the poles? Everywhere. 
Even under the best case scenario, scientists say we've already committed future generations to at least three feet of sea level rise by the year 2300. Now, a new study published in the journal Nature calculates that for every five years of delay in ramping down CO2 emissions, we will add an additional eight inches to the burden of sea level rise borne by all future generations. Mm. That means wiping out trillions of dollars of coastal infrastructure around the world and likely for population migration. But finally, there is a sliver of good news. Washington state has vowed to use every tool in its arsenal to block the Trump administration's planned expansion of oil drilling off of its shores. Following the footsteps of California, Washington state public lands commissioner Hillary Franz told Reuters that she will reject permits, land leases, and easements that are required to support the offshore oil drilling industry, like distribution pipelines. She said in an interview, quote, we didn't invite you here, and we don't want you here. <laughs> Go Washington. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. Now in our 10th year of the GNR, thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. And what are the rest of you waiting for? Eight more inches of sea level rise? I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. are barely holding on. I wonder if the folks uh, across most of the country in the east, uh, it was almost 80 degrees in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. Uh, Boston broke broke its all-time high monthly February temperature ever recorded. So did New York. I mean, they were above 80 degrees. It was warmer in Boston than it was here in Los Angeles. And up in the Arctic, uh, you you mentioned that uh, record that was... The Arctic heat yeah. wave right now. So the uh, the record highs, uh, you know, it's a, it's an unbelievable time since it's polar night right now. The Arctic is about 45 degrees Fahrenheit above normal right now. It is so warm that last month a tanker ship completed the first ever wintertime crossing of the Arctic Ocean without needing the assistance of an icebreaker. But... <sighs> But, you know, we can't get anybody to pay attention to that. As a matter of fact, they're probably going, hey, great, early spring out here in the east. Uh, This is awesome. I can play golf today, after all, (laughs) in February. It's crazy. What isn't? Thank you to our producer, Desi Doy, and to my guest today, teacher Dina Legerman. Uh, And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me an email if you like. It's always good to hear from uh, from listeners, whether I can write back to you or not. My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find and uh, follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. And again, our thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do over your public airwaves every day. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.